Hello, welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst. You are watching our special holiday series where we do deep dive interviews with activists and leaders and authors and reporters so that, you know, you keep yourself lively and informed during the holiday season. Um, as you guys know, our show is taking a different approach during the holidays until January 4th. We'll be back with our regular programming on January 4th, but make sure to check us out. We are gonna be producing new content like we are today. I am very excited to have Jimmy Tobias on. He is a Nation contributor, The Nation Magazine, and he also writes for The Guardian, and he has a piece out right now online and probably arriving at your doorstep if you uh, if you are a, if you like to read things in paper form like I do, uh, in the Nation magazine, it's titled "Can We Prevent the Next Pandemic?" Jimmy, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, um, can we prevent the next pandemic? Come on, <laughs> like, can we get over this pandemic? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's where we are right now. It's just the last one. We had a CDC that was funded. We had a government that was a little bit more, uh, had a little bit more recognition of of the growing pandemic of SARS, et cetera. Um, but I guess before I even ask, can we prevent the next pandemic? What would the next pandemic look like after this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, you know, every scientist I've talked to in the last year has basically said the same thing that we're looking, you know, down the barrel of more pandemics. We're living in this pandemic era where diseases keep spilling into the human population mostly from wild animals. Um, and, you know, we're looking at that in the future and it's also been our past, you know, from Zika to HIV to SARS to bird flu. Um, we're living in this pandemic era. Uh, and so there are, there are like something like 600,000 viruses out there in the world that have the potential to spill into the human population. And some subset of that um, can cause disease. And so there are many, many, many viruses out there that we don't know anything about and that could do us harm. Um, and so we, we have to get a handle on that. And I think this moment with this terrible pandemic, as bad as it is, should be a wake up call that, you know, there could be worse things in our future if we don't, if we don't start getting serious about this threat. Why, let's, I, let's just go back a little bit. I know we've all been living in this pandemic and are probably exhausted by the news of the pandemic, but um, you know, in the beginning it was very confusing as to where this COVID started, COVID-19 started. Did it come out of, uh, from bats? Did it come from an open air market in, in the Wuhan province? Like there was just, and there was, you know, controversies and, and conspiracy theories being spread everywhere, but you mentioned it does come from wild animals. Why is that the case and how does that happen? Yeah, most most um, pandemics and epidemics uh, originate in wild animals. Um, animals, wild animals, whether they're bats or rodents or primates, um, they harbor within themselves all sorts of viruses that human beings aren't that human beings have no experience with that we've never been um, infected by. Um, and that's just the reality of living on Earth. But as human beings move into wild habitats as we destroy habitats as you know as we you know deforest or mine or build real estate developments in previously undisturbed forests or whatnot um we come into contact with these animals uh, and 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 that increases uh the possibility that that the viruses in their bodies will spill into our bodies um and so no one knows exactly what the sequence 
of events was that that resulted in COVID-19 infecting human beings. Um, but scientists are sure that it ultimately originated in bats um, because bats in Southeast Asia and in China and really around the world harbor coronaviruses and they spill into the human population. We just got really unlucky this time and, and this particular um, coronavirus was infectious and deadly. Now there are institutions and and global institutions, and of course, um, you know there are, are countries that that focus on predicting when the next pandemics hit and pre- preparing. Um, you talk about EHA. Can you describe what EHA is and and what their role in all this is? Yeah, the Eco Health Alliance is a nonprofit group based in New York, and they um, are part of this movement, this One Health movement of organizations and individuals around the world. Um, who are tr- really fundamentally, their, their central message is that human, animal, and environmental health are intertwined and interconnected. And if we destroy the environment, you know, we will face consequences, including these rising infectious diseases, these pandemics that will spill into our population. Um, and so they're trying to break down barriers between the different scientific disciplines, bring people together to tackle the health problems we face alongside the environmental problems we face we face because ultimately they're intertwined and interconnected. Um, And so they're doing all sorts of work around the world to find viruses, to protect animal populations, to um, promote this one health model uh, at the local, federal, national, international level. Um, And so, yeah, they do all sorts of different work, but they've been at the center of of this movement for some time. So even if, you know, we're able to recognize that that these wild animals and and climate change and over you know deforestation and and everything that you discuss um, exacerbates the crisis of the pandemic. There's there's just how does government respond to this? How does government you know say okay stop developing? Uh, you're you're creating these pandemics. I mean, there's there's obviously many effects of climate change and causes of climate change. Um, but how how can governments around the world really curb anything that comes out of this research? Curb any? I mean, it's essentially capitalism, right? Like, how right. how do we expect these these capitalist governments to say, okay, enough? Well, I'll give you. I, I mean, one of the examples I looked at in the story, and the one that I, I probably found the most intriguing was back in two thousand thirteen. There was this big real estate developer. Um, outside of San Antonio, Texas, that wanted to build this huge new residential community that happened to be, that was gonna be right next door to the biggest migratory bat colony in the world. Um, And so obviously, and and that created a lot of problems. I mean, not only did it destroy wildlife habitat and pose danger to the bats, but, um, you know, bats harbor all sorts of viruses. So the local government and activists in the area who, bat conservationists were really concerned that this real estate project was going to um, put people in harm's way and potentially lead to you know, a vir- virus spilling over into the human population. And so the EcoHealth Alliance sent one of its scientists down there. They spent a number of weeks researching the project and putting together a report that found that if the development was built, um, not only would it harm the bats, but you know the government, the local government could be expected to see a rise in rabies arise in all sorts of issues. Um, And so ultimately the government and the activists and others banded together and bought out the real estate developer and prevented them from building 
this huge, enormous um, complex. And so that model, you know, I find interesting because already the government, our government has, you know, all sorts of laws in the books like the Endangered Species Act and the National Environmental Policy Act that they use all the time to regulate and control development, even if they could do a better job, obviously. Um, so, it, you know, you could see a future where sort of like an environmental health analysis, like the one that was done in San Antonio, could be integrated across the board and prevent projects from being developed in places where it poses a risk to species and it poses, you know, the risk of viral spillover. So there are interesting, intriguing possibilities out there to actually integrate this idea into the way, you know, we do environmental regulation, for example. But how do you push environmental regulation? Um, I mean, does it come from the UN? Does it come from global health organizations? Where in China, in Brazil? I mean, mm-hmm. is right. Bolsonaro really going to respond? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> China is doing some work on this. They're they're working with some international organizations to try to integrate One Health, and they have partnered with groups like EcoHealth Alliance. Um, I mean, I think obviously, you know, right now we have this very vibrant climate movement, and it is focused really, you know, it's really focused on climate change and and you know greenhouse gas emissions as it should be. But there's all these other environmental crises that are very dangerous. Um, that could be integrated into these movements. You know, people could, you know, this pandemic that we're experiencing, I think, should really be a wake-up call for people that, you know, that our destruction of habitat, apart from even climate change, but just all the destruction of habitat that's going around on all around the world, you know, is directly tied to what we're going through. And, and so we need to deal with this extinction crisis and the pandemic crisis and the pandemic era um, alongside climate, you know, climate's not enough to focus on. It has to be a broader frame than that. It actually seems it 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 seems like a, a a very good frame of messaging to appeal to folks that normally would be pro development or you know may not care about uh, the sea lions dying totally. or <laughs> or frankly <laughs> you know want cheap gas or, or whatever. Yeah. I mean that that listen if it's San Antonio decides to come together in Texas, right. uh, you know it seems like there's a there's a pathway there in messaging. I absolutely agree. I mean I think you know I think one of the things that's been brilliant about the climate movement is every time there's a hurricane or wildfire, you know, they're like this is climate change. This is climate change. Um, and I think those who are concerned about the wildlife extinction crisis and the, you know, the destruction of habitat need to point to these pandemics and epidemics and be like, this, this is the extinction crisis. This is, this is the consequences of destroying landscapes. Um, I mean, we even just saw it from, from the sense of the pandemic, people being inside and seeing how many wild animals were just roaming the streets uh, because, but it shifted the way that wildlife kind of, lived. I mean, at the same time, I, I was I was in Arizona a few months ago, six or seven months ago, and um, it was the beginning of the pandemic, and there was wildfire. And it was crazy. All of, in the mountains, all of the, the wild animals started coming in, you know, lions, we have a little dog outside, and we were worried that he was going to get eaten, because, you know, the wild li- the, the, the lions were everywhere, and coyotes were everywhere. Um, so you could just actually see it, like, in, in a red state, you could see how the entire ecosystem was shifting before our eyes. And I mean, I, I think that I think yeah, it's an I mean, interesting aspect of, of messaging around this. Yeah, you know, the, the, the impact of our civilization on the natural world is so profound. Um, and, and while we face, you know, the threat of climate change, 
there's so many other threats that we face too. I mean, and and this this moment, I really think I really think that it is incumbent upon reporters and activists and others to really stress the point that this pandemic didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of um, environmental destruction, and that has to be like front and center if we're ever going to deal with with this this threat and i think and that's what the one health movement is for is really that's the core of the message right there and and you don't hear it much in government or um in, in even coverage of this pandemic but that is the core of the message and we're gonna live through this again if 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 that isn't taken to heart and acted upon but it, you also don't hear about it because donald trump has done everything he can to defund every environmental organization and like the cdc obviously um so moving forward with the Biden administration, it's like, how do we hyper-correct these issues? Will he go far enough? Will he put more money into, into the EHA and, and the, you know, this, this movement? Um, when so many of his, his donors and potential cabinet members do come from uh, industries which extract and exploit from our environment, exploit uh, workers who are extracting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's going to be a tough fight. I mean, even the, you know, even the environmental laws that are on the books, like the Endangered Species Act, which I cover a lot, um, is almost never, you know, enforced to its full potential. Um, it's it's always falls victim to political infighting and things like that. How so? Um, uh, what, what, <laughs> why is this controversial? Yeah, I know. It's amazing because the law is actually like one of the most popular laws on the books with the American public polls constantly show that. Um, and yet when it comes to actually enforcing it, the federal agencies that are responsible for doing so are, are under immense pressure from industry groups and lawyers and um, even sort of an internal bureaucratic culture that's averse to conflict. And so they almost never enforce it to the extent they could to actually protect species. And, and that's really why so few species ever come off the endangered species list. You know, they're not going extinct, but they're also not being removed. Um, because the government just doesn't have the guts to to enforce this law and protect animals. Um, and I think this, you know, again, this pandemic should be a wake-up call that we have, we actually have the power to stop a lot of these problems already um, on, on the books, but but it's just not, there's not the political will among among either party, really. I'm... Um... I'm looking forward to seeing Sunrise <laughs> make phone calls around this issue. But I do, I do think that there's, there's, it's an interesting way for different movement organizations to come together um, and work together towards, towards a common good because, because of what you just said, the framing is, is much broader than uh, the typical, you know, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't want a hurricane to show up. Every, you know the, how many hurricanes we've had this cycle? I think more in, in in the history of since we've been recording hurricanes, or you don't want more tornadoes to be short. You have to; it has to be much deeper. And also, there's a destruction there too. When when there is more, um, there are more climate events. Ecosystems get disrupted, as you said, uh, from the start. So it's not just about overdevelopment; it's also the exacerbation of climate change caused by all these other issues. So it's like a an endless cycle. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the damage we're doing to the natural world world, world is um, obviously profound, um, and and you know that's why we've all been stuck at home for the last year. You know, and it could happen again. You know, I think uh, people often don't recognize how often these these 
uh, illnesses and viruses have spilled into the human population and rewritten human history. I mean, just think about HIV AIDS, which also emerged, you know, from wildlife. I mean, you know, the profound and deep impact that's had on all sorts of people around the world. Um, Zika, Lyme disease is another one, you know, everyone talks, you know, worries about Lyme disease now, but that is a relatively recently emerged disease that came out of disrupted habitats in the Northeast United States. So, you know, it's, we've already been living with this. And I, I just think the narrative around it hasn't always focused um, on the root causes. And, and that's what the One Health Movement in many ways is about, as well as more practical um, ways to combat, combat zoonotic disease and, and disease spillover. Really interesting, fascinating things to talk, to think about. And it would be great to see all these foundations that fight things like Lyme disease and um, you know the global AIDS uh, crisis that continues to exist if they looped in this eco message. Um, I think it's a fascinating uh, approach to, to combating many, many, many different problems that all stem from capitalism. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's definitely, uh, I think a wave of the future and I think it's gonna gain a lot of traction. Um, I hope it will gain a lot of traction uh, in the years to come in light of what we're all living through. Jimmy Tobias, go check out his article right now at The Nation. Uh, it is, I think it's a fascinating way of looking at this pandemic. It's called, Can We Prevent the Next Pandemic? I wish there, I wish in the title it said, by also combating climate change, but you know, you'll have to read that later, right. <laughs> whoever does your titles. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Jimmy. Happy holidays, happy holidays to everybody else. Thank you for having me, happy holidays. Mm -hmm.